Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. This is Acts chapter 16 from verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Uh, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight through Samothrace and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that there was no hope of make, that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, "These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice." The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and, to the, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prisoners' doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had all escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were alarmed, they heard that Paul and Silas were alarmed, they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Simon. Uh, What we've all just sat and listened to and what uh, for hundreds, thousands of years even people have uh, read and dwelt on has to be one of the most significant and fascinating moments in history as we know it. Uh, I have no doubt one of my great loves in life, my wife will happily attest to this, is history. Uh, Nothing will make me as happy uh, if I've got a good history documentary, if I've got a good book on history, particularly historical fiction, which is a great thing. Uh, I am just enjoy to be consuming that in my life. Uh, One of those things, if you're passionate about history, is you quickly learn there are many ways to divide it, to kind of structure it, to make sense of the mass that is human history down the ages, right? There's a a history that, way of dividing history where we look at how wealth has been distributed, right? Like communist thinking will very much break history up into that. There's a type of history of the ideas, which idea is triumphant over another. We can break up history most primarily, though, between the clash of kingdoms. The clash, which we call war, is probably one of the more foundational ways that we, as human beings, break up our history. As Australians, where do we think that Australia was born? On the shores of Gallipoli in a botched invasion. We structure our understanding of history around war. Whichever way you want to divide up history, uh, the fact is this chapter 16 in Acts satisfies every category as one of the key moments in history. If you're looking at the history of the oppressed, uh, Jesus Christ and his ministry of freedom uh, is one of the key moments in history. If you're looking at Invasions, the, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God arriving in Europe is a key moment in human history. There is no way that we read this text and not see one of the key moments in the history of mankind. The arrival of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Europe. Now Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records in this chapter for us the very first conversion in Europe that we're aware of, the birth of the very first European church. We have a Scottish flag just behind us. This was only possible because of what we see emerging in this text. All of Scripture 
is uh, for our benefit. It is sharpens us. Uh, it is recorded for us here to teach us, I think, what the arrival of the gospel into hostile lands will look like. It is recorded for us to inspire us, right? In this day and age, we are very much a beachhead for the gospel in a culture that is increasingly hostile. So we're going to learn something about that. And we're going to learn something about how Jesus is the great model in all that we see in this chapter, emerging out of this chapter. Now, it's a fair chunk of scripture. Uh, thank you, Simon, for reading all of that, it, that up. Uh, I'm not a great user of slides. Uh, I'm, I'm, Anchor Church will tell you I'm starting to emerge. And I'm challenged with technology. Uh, but I've broken up these passages like this, three headings. The unexpected plans of God the unexpected people of God, and the unexpected revelation of God. That's what I think we're seeing here. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll open this word together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your Bible, Lord. It sharpens us, uh, it guides us. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which guides us into all things that are true. Lord, we pray you would be active amongst us this evening. Lord, calling us, inspiring us, sending us out onto mission in our hostile culture. Lord, pray that we would be faithful. Pray that we would see fruit. Lord, pray that we would strive and embody the truth of the gospel to this community around us. Heavenly Father, uh, we trust you and we trust on the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I don't know uh, that many people here. It's actually a great encouragement to me. I remember a meeting in the pre-planning stage uh, for the birth of this church. And uh, you know, so many people have come into it since those tiny, small days in a Chibo uh, cafe. Uh, so I don't know many of you here. Uh, you may not know me particularly well. And here's a confession. I am not one of the world's greatest planners. I tend to fly off the seat of my pants and things happen. Sometimes things don't. Uh, it's a source of you know, great things happen, terrible things happen. Uh, but I took great delight in the opening stanza of our scripture today is that what it turns into the successful invasion of darkness by the light of Christ was never intended to be so by those who start this trip. This wasn't a planned trip that winds up in Philippi. They are starting out on a trip to encourage the churches in the cities they've already visited. They don't get far into their trip into Asia Minor. That's their destination as they set out with the gospel, right? They want to go into Asia Minor to encourage churches that have already started, uh, but they go on this journey and they start to feel it's not happening. It just says for us that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to continue. Now, was that bad weather? We don't know. Uh, was that just a general sense of foreboding uh, that said well, maybe something's going on here, we don't know what to do? Uh, but they don't continue that original plan, but they do attempt to continue the journey into Turkey. And it's here that Paul gets a vision of a Macedonian man pleading for them to come and help him. And I really want to pause and zero in on their reaction here. Luke writes, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's a, there's a bit in that sentence for us today. If we are likewise a beachhead into a hostile culture, 
right? How do we know? How do we step forward in faith and seeking the will of God around us? Even with visions, it's interesting this reaction to me. See, the word here, concluding, that Luke uses is the same word they would use to describe puzzle, putting together a puzzle. It involves rational thought. It's not kind of waiting and, and meditating under a tree and emptying your mind like a pagan mind. It's actively, rationally working through what God has revealed to you to come to a conclusion. And it's a work done in community. It says, we concluded that we were called. And I just want to throw this out. This is just a minor point on our journey into into, um, Philippi with Paul and the team. But brothers and sisters, when you... When you are planning, and I, I don't know how you do this as a church, but in your small groups, in your DGs, my prayer would be that you have a burden and a sense of pursuing the lost, that you would get together one night a week, and sure, you are opening up the word to be enriched by it, and sure, you are sharing hospitality and the mutual love by which the world will recognize you a disciple of Christ, but surely in those small groups, you're also praying and yearning and seeking to reach the lost with the gospel. In that, are you making space? Please make space to rationally throw into the middle of the pot together the bits of the puzzle that you have. Hey, I see at St. Mark's College, I, I hear they've got this crazy day coming up and then someone else says, well, I, I've got a cousin there. Hey, if we, if we join, hang on, somebody else has this kind of natural gift and hey, are we the group that maybe God is calling together to go into that college as a DG and to share the good news? Getting together and talking and listening and sharing the pieces of the puzzle together is a vital, vital component of taking the gospel into a hostile culture. If we don't do that, we could miss out on that work altogether. My brother used to volunteer uh, in an overseas mission agency uh, and he recalls uh, that they had a team of about 20 in Turkey and they had a team of two in Bulgaria and revival broke out in Bulgaria. (laughs) So would you transfer the people into Bulgaria? They didn't. 20 men and women sat in cafes in Turkey while the two in Bulgaria were going crazy, crying out for help. We've got to listen to God and put the pieces of the puzzle he gives us together if we're going to be fruitful for the kingdom. So they do end up in Philippi. They, they listen to the Macedonian man's call. They redirect their direction. They get into the, the city of Philippi. It's a very Roman city in its architecture. It's full of former Roman soldiers. A lot of them were parceled out, given land. So kind of the religion is Roman. The architecture is Roman. So much so that it's called the little colony of the kingdom of Rome. It has a name for, for being Roman. This is taking me into my second point, the unexpected people of God. 
Right? If we put together the whole passage, we see that these missionaries, I'm going to call them ambassadors for Christ. It's my preferred term from 2 Corinthians. Right? We are ambassadors for Christ. I love what that entails. So these ambassadors from the kingdom of God arrive in a little colony of the kingdom of Rome. And if we look towards the end of it, probably several people are converted, come to faith in Jesus Christ. But in our section here, in the unexpected people of God, Luke only records three conversions for us. And I think that's to reveal to us a glimpse of the defi- like logic-defying diversity that is the people of God. The first conversion. The first conversion to Jesus in Europe, and I love this, isn't European. The first conversion in Europe isn't European. The first conversion in Europe recorded for us is an Asian lady by the name of Lydia. Lydia is a well-off businesswoman, a religious woman, undoubtedly a moral person, an upstanding kind of pillar in the community. She's got a problem, though. She doesn't know Jesus. That's a pretty big problem. So the ambassadors for Christ under Paul's leadership, uh, they go seeking, they find this group, uh, and they don't, our starting point, like my first kind of point here as we go into a hostile culture, is we don't seek to form an alliance with the moral and the righteous. We come out with a message to save them. We're not seeking an alliance with the moral and righteous. We're here to save them. So Paul gets beside her and the others in the group and then they open the scriptures together and he points out that your need, Lydia, and your need group of people is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every question that you have out of the Old Testament. Lydia sees the truth in what is basically a Bible study. Our scenario, if we're going to modernise it into Adelaide terms, is Paul's gone to somebody's Bible study, interpreted the Bible for them, and it may not look spectacular, but the faith and the saving work of the Spirit in that is spectacular. There's no such thing as a boring conversion, no such thing as a boring salvation in the hands of God. So the Spirit of God sets Lydia free from the power of her own sin through the Word of God. And this is what so often we see and so how often we function in ministry today. The plan of God through the verbal proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God opens people's hearts and minds. It even says here, God opens Lydia's heart and mind. And they are set free. As Jesus says in John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free to tell others the truth. Lydia shares with her household and they come to faith as well. So we as Christ's ambassadors, when we step into the darkness, the truth of God comes with us and it sets captives' hearts free. Write this in pen in your small group. We tell people the truth of Jesus Christ and pray that God will open their hearts to its life-changing power. The next person Luke records coming to faith is a slave girl. Uh, And people argue, and I think they're right, uh, that in his selection of Luke's selection of who he's recording being saved, uh, he's very uh, intentional. And what we see here in this slave girl is in many respects the opposite of Lydia. 
where Lydia is wealthy, the slave girl is poor and exploited by wealthy people. Where Lydia was religious and moral, a good person in the eyes of the community, the slave girl is in turmoil. She's in economic slavery. Wealthy people own her. She's in spiritual slavery. She's filled with a demonic spirit. Slaved by human masters, enslaved by demonic masters. The word that describes the, uh, the spirit that possesses her is actually says spirit python. Not just spirit. We read spirit, it says spirit python. So the, the Philippians believed that in their temple of Apollos, their kind of god where Apollos lived, uh, this temple was guarded by a giant python that had access to what the gods knew. So this slave girl oppressed uh, in no control of her own life. For many days, it says, she follows the ambassadors of God's kingdom around, saying in verse 17, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And I might come back to this, but I find this interesting. Even reading this as a non-Christian, it fascinated me that for many days, this woman followed Paul around before he did anything. Why would that be? Also, why would it be that a demon would follow around ambassadors of God and tell people that they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation? They are the servants of the Most High God. Why would a demon tell people that truth? Here's what I think. The demon was trying to associate the gospel of Jesus Christ with darkness. The demon was saying, Python of Apollos is on the same team as Jesus Christ. Second thing I want to say for our small group things. We can never allow others to attach their message to our message. We can never allow evil to participate in the work of the gospel. I don't know how many times I've come across Christians and Buddhists and Muslims together against. We don't do that. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not need to make an alliance with the voices of the demonic. Challenging. The temptation is strong, particularly in college ministry, I would imagine, to share platforms with those in rebellion against God, especially if they are saying good and true things, like this girl was saying. But we can't mix the light with the dark. Christ's ambassadors cannot mix the light and the dark. In Ephesians, Paul writes, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth. 
testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead oppose them, expose them. We don't partner with the darkness, we expose it. Man, I know, and I'm talking to you as a former uh, Bible college student, how much I love and how much I suspect you love to take people into the word, like Lydia, and how often we shy away from confronting the darkness in our midst, in our community. It's messy. It's messy. At Bible college, a a friend of mine uh, uh, heard strange students from another student's uh, room and he headed on down and opened up the door. Uh, This is in a Bible college. And there's a pentagram on the wall and the guy is rolling around and he is obviously demonically possessed. And he's trying to cast this thing out and it's saying, well, it's talking to him. It's saying, are you doing this wrong? You need to call on the name of the archangel Michael because he's the one who beats up demons. And so my friend's like, in the name of Michael, I'm try- he's trying to cast this thing out. And of course, what happened? Nothing. Paul says, verse 18, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. I just wonder if Paul was so busy opening up the word with people. He was a human. He didn't stop to look at the oppression and the demonic work around him at times. This is, I don't want to say this is unilaterally true. This is me reading into it. But why wait those days? Why didn't he just cast that demon out then and there? Part of our work in this world is to push back on the darkness. Be that economic, be that economic, or be that spiritual. We must name the power of Jesus Christ and speak Jesus into every situation in North Adelaide and where you come from. Into the the kind of slavery that happens in in workshops. Into the spiritual oppression that could probably be happening on Hindley Street tonight. If not us, who? If not in the power of Jesus, how? In the, in the contest about the power in the name of Christ versus the power of something like a polis or a python, there is only the power of Jesus Christ. He is one who crushes the heads of serpents. Write this in your small group. We are called as a group of disciples to oppose the oppression of the weak. Put the pieces together as a group of what that would look like for you. The third conversion is that of the Philippian jailer. Uh, I kind of like the Philippian jailer. I don't know why. I'm a pretty blue-collar guy myself. Could have easily have ended up a prison guard. 
<laughs> at different times. Uh, the, the city power structure uh, responds to what they've been seeing because there is a cost to the darkness when the gospel spreads, right? The more light there is, the less dark there is. So they respond how they respond. They'll never be shocked that the darkness doesn't play fair. As Paul speaks truth, if we look at this passage, that results in freedom, the darkness speaks lies that results in their being jailed. It's a beautiful picture of the difference of the worlds we see here. One leading people, good people into jail. One throwing, uh, sorry, leading people into jail. One setting them free. One speaking truth. One speaking lies. The two natures of the kingdom. Uh, the crowd jump in. They're riled up. These guys get tortured, beaten, thrown into the worst part of the jail. They are lied about. There's not even sunlight, what I read down in this part of the jail that they're put in. I love reading Acts about Paul, the parts about Paul, in light of the letters he writes, which reveal that theology for Paul, like Romans, wasn't just something he knew, it was something he did, something he practiced. Right? He writes in Romans 5, and I've, I've loved this, uh, we rejoice in our... We, we rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, he rejoices in his afflictions, he says in Romans 5. Here in, in Acts 16, tortured, lied about, jailed, we see him what? Singing praises to God. Theology isn't something we just know. It's something we do. That's how to hope. Singing praises to God in jail. And hope that manifests itself publicly, even or especially in the midst of suffering, can change the lives of people around us in the hands of the Holy Spirit. People's lives are changed when we persevere in hope. They worship God and God sends an earthquake. Paul and Silas have the opportunity to escape, but they don't. Right, the jailer uh, plans to kill himself because he thinks they've escaped. In uh, his uh, employment, if somebody escapes, uh, the prison guards were killed. Uh, so he's going, I'm just going to do it myself. But Paul calls out, don't harm yourself, we're still here. The jailer, after observing their witness, their compassion asks, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> Preparing to take his own life, he asks the exact right question to the exact right people. The only ones in Philippi who knew the answer. Put your faith in Jesus. And, and they do. Brothers and sisters, uh, we recently did a series in Anchor on, on uh, con finding contentment in all circumstances and we included finding contentment in suffering. And one of the points we drew out of that is that our suffering as disciples of Christ is redeemed suffering. 
Suffering when we are not disciples is just pointless suffering. But suffering for us, ambassadors of, the God, of God, changes us. It builds our faith in him when he delivers us. It enables us to t- comfort others with the comfort we have received. It informs the world around us watching that we actually believe the things we say. It is a powerful witness to a world that can only numb pain, not rejoice in it. So we've seen the ministry of the word, the ministry of deliverance. Now we see the ministry of example. The ministry of hope, of conduct. And I'm praying for me too, right? But for you as small groups, you're going, what pieces of the puzzle do we have where we can be doing word ministry, deliverance ministry, example ministry? What's it look like here in North Adelaide for you ambassadors of Christ, each with a gift each with a piece of the puzzle to contribute, each with a part in the body to play, to be the beachhead for the invasion of the kingdom of God into this area. Point three, the unexpected revelation of God. So what comes out of this work that we see? What fruit has emerged from this work? Uh, Lydia, we see, tells her her whole household, who then come to faith and immediately insists that Paul and Silas come to stay at her house. The the Philippian jailer's household also comes to faith and he immediately insists that his former prisoners come and stay at his house. And then in the last scene uh, of this chapter, they are all in Lydia's house. All those, it says, who have come to faith in Jesus All the new converts, the wealthy, the slave, the jailer, all now just described simply as brothers and sisters. The old titles are gone. It's just brothers and sisters now. Because a church has been born. A church has been born. This little colony of Rome now has within it a little colony of the kingdom of God. That's extraordinary. North Adelaide now has in it little kingdoms of God. What Paul sees here is no less than what he writes about in Ephesians 3, where he says that the church reveals the manifold wisdom of God. The church embodies the gospel and reveals the manifold wisdom of God. And that in this context is the bringing together and the formation of a new people out of those who formerly hated one another, brought together around the person of Jesus Christ, defying every other attempt to do likewise. No one has brought together people like the gospel of Jesus Christ, like the the conviction and work of the Spirit in transforming them into Christ's likeness. So Paul sees this. This is a new thing here in Europe. He wants to protect this. 
He's willing to die for this, we see in his ministry. So those who have jailed Paul learn he's a Roman citizen and kind of freak out. Hey, you can go, you can just leave. Let's, like, let's, you know, let's put some Band-Aids on you and uh, here's some Panadol. Uh, here's the bus stop. Hey, no hard feelings. Uh, enjoy Corinth, right? <laughs> but Paul refuses. He refuses until they come down and walk him out of there. He refuses to leave the city until all can see that this baby church, this little colony of the kingdom of God in the city has done no wrong. He's not walking out of there until they don't have to walk in. We are involved in the work of the gospel. Like tonight, you go home and you pray, you say, Lord, give me the pieces of the puzzle we need, I need. I want to. I want to, Lord, open the word with people. And I want to set the prisoner free, Lord. And I want to see people freed of spiritual oppression. Father, I want my life to be an example to those around me as I suffer well, as I rejoice regardless, as I can celebrate in all circumstances. I refuse, as you say, I refuse to mix your message with those who are evil. Expect resistance. Expect resistance, and this is where we need to be on point, right, brothers and sisters? Transparency has to be your friend. Your conduct has to be in keeping with the truth you're saying. When false accusations are brought against you, and my prayer, brothers and sisters, is that when false accusations are brought against you because you're active in the gospel, that they are false. That they are false. Stand your ground. Stand your ground on the holiness you pursue for the name of Christ. Let the Spirit convict you and lead you and make you into a weapon of righteousness in this city that is praying to sinfulness. That's the some of the most important history, however you want to carve up history, in the history of mankind. Luke 16. Paul, towards the end of his life, writes to his beloved church in Philippi, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. He records towards the end of, of his letter to them that they supported him financially and with gifts on multiple occasions. That letter would have arrived and perhaps the Philippian jailer or Lydia or the now free slave girl, their circuit, oh man, our brother Paul, work of the gospel will tie us together tighter than anything else. 
So yeah, I just want to finish, church. Uh, I've loved being here. Uh, My prayer is what you've heard tonight isn't a 10 steps necessarily to gospel success. Uh, These are things we pursue, things we are earnest about. But just remember, it always needs God to do something. It says he's the one who opens Lydia's heart. His name is the power. He sends the earthquake. You are involved in precious work, the proclaiming of Jesus Christ as king to those in darkness. But it's his power and his glory that is driving the message out over Adelaide. In my final encouragement, uh, as you meet in your small groups to, to, to share the pieces of the puzzle that you all might have, uh, as Paul and Silas and the team, I just ask you to expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. The unexpected people who are going to respond to your message. The unexpected direction God is going to send you. And the unexpected means, which is the church that God is using to reveal his glory to the world. Don't be tempted. Don't, for the love of God, be tempted to be a nice, domesticated church. Don't be nice and domesticated, preaching good manners and wanting to hold everybody's hand. You are a beachhead. You are part of an armada breaking through the darkness of this world. We're confronting evil head on, not forming alliances with it. All right. Just one, just get active and expect the unexpected work of God in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow. You hold history in the palm of your hand, Lord. It is all moving towards your purpose and your destination. Father, we can rest and trust in your glory and in your sovereignty. But Father, we desperately yearn to be your ambassadors here on mission, seeing transformation in the most unlikely of places, Lord. We think of ourselves, Father, we are unlikely converts as well. But Father, it's in us, in our love for one another that you proclaim and reveal who we are to the world, disciples of Jesus. Jesus, the the word, Jesus, the example, Jesus, the great freer of humanity. Lord, we pray we are more like him. Father, this week I just pray that you would be active in the small groups, Father, giving them uh, your spirit and, and helping them piece together the great calling and there'd be just fruit emerging from this work, Lord, of freedom for the lost. And Father, above all, we rely on you. We know we can't do it, but Lord, in your power, uh, these things will happen. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, 
or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.